morning, church. I'll be reading from John 21, um, verses 1 to 14. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple, whom Jesus loved, said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Wow, what a privilege to um, open up this passage with you this morning. And I want to, I want to teach you a new word. And I guarantee this is a word that none of you know, because it's a word that I made up. Um, this is the word, in-betweenism. In-betweenism. Let me, let me explain what I mean by that. It's that moment when you find yourself caught in between two realities. So, for example, it happens every morning. Um, you're asleep. And then you wake up. But in between being asleep and being awake... There is a sort of a middle bit where you're not asleep anymore, but you haven't yet embraced the full reality of being awake. <laughs> in betweenism, you're kind of there. Or I guess um, this is true as, as kids get older. You know, one minute you're sort of a child and you get no bills, right? You never get a bill when you're a kid. And then you're an adult and suddenly all the bills are addressed to you. But there is a time in the middle when, when you're sort of no longer a child, but your bills are still being paid by your parents. Anyone here still using their parents' Netflix account? Anyone got kids who are still using your Netflix account or you're paying their mobile phone bill still? Because there's that funny in-between bit, isn't there? I've got an 18-year-old son. I'm like, at what point does he start to pay his own stuff? <laughs> He's in-between. 
Or perhaps more seriously, if you think of someone who has been taken hostage and they're held in captivity and in fear and then they are released, they're rescued and they're set free, but they may well live for a time in between those two realities, not yet fully able to embrace the freedom and joy that they now have because of their past experience. Now, I want to suggest that for many of us who are Christians, we often find ourselves caught in between two realities. And sometimes we can live our lives in that in-betweenest kind of place. Now, maybe you're here this morning and you're not a Christian. You're in church, but you're not sure what you believe. You're not sure what you think about Jesus. It's so brilliant you're here. And I hope that as we go through this story, you will see why Jesus is worth giving up everything for. Why Jesus is so beautiful. But if you are a Christian, and if you have been following him, I wonder if you can identify with this this sense of being between two realities. This will make more sense as we go through. I want to take you through the story and show you that. And I want to try and show you firstly that you will always experience a drift back to your old reality. If you're a Christian, you will find the old reality pulling on you and pulling you backwards. Let's have a look at the story. So afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples. So this is the end of John's gospel. John has told us all about Jesus, his amazing life, his miracles, seven miraculous signs that display his glory. John has shown us Jesus die on a cross as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John has shown us Jesus smash his way out of the grave. And at the end of John chapter 20, listen to what John says. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That would be a really good place to end, don't you think? That by believing you may have life in his name. The end. And yet, then we get John chapter 21. Why? This is speculation. I wonder, though, if Peter got hold of John's gospel and John said I'm thinking of finishing here and Peter said oh you need to include this you need to include this story this thing happened I I really want you to include this and so John says okay fine I'll include that and then at the end of John chapter 21 he says look Jesus did many other things I know that there's many many more things if they were all written down they'd fill every book in the world but these are so he says look I know there's more but I haven't got space for everything I'll just include this one (laughs) But here is Peter, and let's have a look at what happens. They're by the Sea of Galilee, and we're told in verse 2 that Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the other disciples of the, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, We'll go with you. Now, let's just think about that for a second. Does that sound like a group of people who are living in the extraordinary new reality of Jesus' resurrection? Here they are. They've got together in Galilee. Jesus had told them to go to Galilee, to go and he'll meet them there. 
But they're sort of sitting there looking at each other going, what should we do? They're a bit directionless. What do we do? And so Simon Peter suggests they go fishing. Why don't we go, let's go fishing? Should we go fishing? <laughs> now, some people think that this is um, actually rebellious. Some people think that they are actually disobeying. Um, but I think that's going too far. But I think what is happening is that they're living in a sort of directionless state. They're trying to work out what to do. And perhaps they're not just directionless. I think they're also disappointed. Look, think of Simon Peter. Simon Peter, think of his old reality. Right before any of this Jesus stuff happened, Simon Peter was a fisherman. He was probably fairly good at it, I imagine. He fished. He he fed his family. He had a little business. He was on the Sea of Galilee. Boom, he's a fisherman. A fairly mundane life. And his old reality was caught up in this world that we still know. A world of darkness and death, a world of struggle, a world of frustration, a world of ah, pain. And so there he was living his life in this old reality. Then he met Jesus. (laughs) And his whole reality was changed. He was taken from that reality into an, an unreal new reality. Suddenly this ordinary little fisherman was caught up in miracles. Water turned into wine. Feeding 5,000 people. The dead being brought to life. Crowds of people. You can imagine Simon Peter some days just looking around going, what on earth is happening? How did I end up here? But he's there. He's on this roller coaster. It's so exciting. It's an amazing new reality. And then it comes crashing to a halt when Jesus is nailed to a cross and he's dead. Suddenly it's over. I feel the disappointment. I thought this was going somewhere. I thought this was it. And yeah, Jesus, they've seen Jesus risen from the dead, but it hasn't dawned on them. They're still living in a disappointment state. It's not what they're expecting. And they're looking around going, well, Where's all the crowds gone? Where's all the excitement gone? Where's all this power gone? It's all disappointing. And you know, perhaps Simon Peter doesn't just feel directionless and disappointed. Perhaps he also feels discounted. Because what did Simon Peter do just before Jesus died on a cross? Simon said, I don't even know him. He denied Jesus. He, He betrayed his best friend, the one who loved him. He denied he even knew him. Don't you think Simon Peter has got a kind of guilty conscience? Do you know what that feels like? Do you feel like you failed? And so here is Simon Peter sitting there in Galilee with his mates and they're disappointed and they're directionless and perhaps they're discounted and they think, what should we do? And they go, Let's go out to fish. What's that? That's let's go back to our old reality. They drift back to what they're familiar with. They drift back to patterns of behavior that used to mark them out. They go back to what's familiar. And let me say, as Christians, that can so often be our experience. You know, you, perhaps you meet Jesus and it's exciting or something happens and something's great and you're all excited about Jesus. But 
then after a few years, you find you've just lost your direction. What am I doing? You still turn up at church, you still sing the songs, but that sense of purpose, that sense of direction, ugh, I don't know, what's that? Or perhaps you feel a bit disappointed, it just hasn't worked out. You, you, you thought it was going to be amazing, you thought everything was going to change, but actually you still find yourself struggling. You still find yourself in pain, you still find yourself finding life hard, and you begin to get disappointed. And perhaps some of us, we feel discounted because of our sin, and we think, I, why would Jesus even be bothered about me? And when you find yourself in that place, the tendency is to drift back to old patterns of behavior, to just go backwards. Do you know what that feels like? To the things that you once found comfort in, to the things and the patterns of behavior and the relationships and the situations that you you know all so well, you drift back. But look at the end of verse 3. It's very telling. They all go out, and it says at the end of verse 3, so they went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. You see, here's the problem. If you try to go back to the reality that you've left, you'll find the reality that you left doesn't satisfy you. There's nothing there. That which used to perhaps satisfy and used to bring you joy and used to give you purpose and meaning, once you've tasted Jesus, it just doesn't. There's nothing there. And so now you're caught in this trap. And you know, I've met so many people like this. You're caught in this trap of thinking, oh, I'm miserable being a Christian. I'll go back. Now I'm miserable going back. And you're caught in this in-between state where you don't know where to find meaning and purpose and joy because what used to bring you joy doesn't anymore. Because what they've done is they've gone out fishing on their own and they catch nothing. It's very reminiscent actually of what Jesus said earlier in John's Gospel. In John chapter 15, Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And here is a graphic illustration for his disciples. Without Jesus, there is nothing. You can do nothing. It's not that they caught, you know, they caught two little ones. No, nothing. They pull up their net and it's completely empty. And so I think John chapter 21, firstly says, don't drift back to your old reality. There is nothing there. But then there's a second thing. Because then they encounter the new reality. Have a look at verse 4. Early on the, in the morning. Oh, right, okay, look, that's enough. Early in the morning. Doesn't that, like that, isn't it crackling with anticipation, that verse? Early in the morning. All night, they've worked hard all night in the darkness, the frustration and the disappointment and the disillusionment of darkness. And then morning breaks. It's morning. Early in the morning. You, you know when you get up early in the morning, <laughs> some of you, and, uh, and, and you, there's something about the start of a new day. Perhaps you're going somewhere exciting and you get up early to get ready and you leave really and there's like anticipation of the new day. That's what they're about to encounter. 
early in the morning. Now, of course, this is, a, this is the direct wording that was the same in chapter 20. Because when was it that Jesus rose from the dead? When was it in John chapter 20? Early in the morning. We're told in John 20, while it was still dark, the women went to the tomb. Because what John is wanting us to see is that the coming of Jesus has brought into existence a new reality. A whole new world. I want you to know, by the way, I'm a big Disney fan. I I, I like Disney films. Well, less so now my kids are growing up. But I like Disney films. And um, I'm resisting the temptation to sing A Whole New World from... uh, from Disney, but that is the a whole new. I mean, I'm singing it now, and I'm not going to sing. A whole new world, a new fantastic point of view. No one to tell us no or where to go or say we we're only dreaming, right? A whole new. That's that's what Jesus has brought into being, right? Early in the morning, Jesus goes from darkness to light, from death to life. A whole new reality. That's what we're talking about. And John wants us to see that Jesus is not just here to take our old reality and make it a little bit better. He's come to take us from the old reality, if you like, to grab us by the scruff of the neck and to drag us out of our old reality to say there's nothing there. Don't go there. There's a new reality. Early in the morning, a whole new day has dawned because Jesus has smashed his way out of the darkness of death to life forevermore. Well, let's just get past the first four words of verse four. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? Now, I don't think that he is mocking them. Um, I think he's just helping them to see their own inadequacy. Don't you have any fish? They say, no. Then he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large numbers of fish. The old reality, nothing. The new reality, an abundance, a super abundance abundance of life you see that that's the difference Jesus makes that's the transformation that Jesus takes Simon Peter on that's the transformation he wants to take us on and if this is all that we had if this was all that was going on we'd say well that's a pretty cool miracle well done Jesus that's powerful but there's more here look if you've ever studied John you will know that John is like a he's got layers to it right You read the surface and you go, oh, that's pretty cool. But then you know that John is doing more. And John is using phrases deliberately to make us think of another part of the Bible. Um, I'm not expecting you to know this. Um, He's using phrases to make us think of Ezekiel chapter 47. That (laughs) well-known, that well-known passage. If you've got a Bible, you can turn to it or or just listen But this will help us to see something really important that John is doing. In the book of Ezekiel, God's people are in one of their darkest ever phases. They're in the darkness of exile, away from home in Babylon. It's deep darkness. And they're there because of their sin. They're there because of their rejection of God. And the temple in Ezekiel is destroyed. 
The glory of God departs the temple and the temple is destroyed. But then Ezekiel has a vision. He says there will be a new temple. And from this temple will flow a river. That's what Ezekiel 47, a river of blessing. Um, so have a look what he says about this river. Um, I'll go from halfway through verse 6. Then he led me back to the bank of the river. When I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. He said to me, the, wa- the water flows towards the eastern region and goes into the Arabah, where it enters the Dead Sea. When it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the rivers flow. There will be large numbers of fish. Same phrase, large numbers of fish. That's the same phrase John uses. Because this water flows in there makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore from Engedi to Englaim. There will be places for the spreading of the nets. The fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the Mediterranean. So you get this vision, large numbers of fish, fishermen standing on the shore. Where is Jesus standing? On the shore. What's being caught? A large number of fish. What are we being told? This is the time. This is the river. This is the moment of the blessing Ezekiel promised. The blessing of the darkness being replaced with light, of slavery being replaced with freedom, of the old reality being placed with the new. But if you're tracking with this, you may say to me, ah, but John T, there's no temple in John chapter 21. You see? Ezekiel saw a temple and it was from the temple that the blessing flowed. There's no temple in John chapter 21. And I want to say, yes, there is. You see him, right? You see him there. John has already told us back in John chapter 2 that Jesus is the temple. Jesus said, if you destroy this temple, I will rebuild it in three days. Ezekiel's day, the temple is destroyed and the promise is it would be rebuilt. In Jesus, the temple is destroyed and now it is rebuilt. And from Jesus, from Jesus flows the river of blessing where there are fish of many kinds. And he stands on the shore as the fisherman of this new blessing, this new reality. And here you get this little glimpse of what Jesus has come to do. And he says... Don't drift back to the nothingness of your old reality. Instead, when you find yourself in that in-between place, push into the new reality. Push into the blessing of Jesus. Which brings me to the third part. We've seen the drift back to the old reality. We've seen the encountering of the new reality. And the third point, and it's all about Jesus. That's a terrible point, right? I mean, that's just so general like if you're if you're a preacher terrible it's all about jesus but it is it's all about jesus because okay fine we've got these two realities but what does it look like in practice to push into the new reality well look what what happens next then the disciple whom jesus loved said to peter it is the lord and the disciple whom jesus loved generally reckoned that that is john writing about himself, not arrogantly, it's just how he talks about himself. And in John chapter 20, John made it clear that he was faster than Peter. He got to the tomb before Peter in John 20. And in John chapter 21, he made it clear that he's smarter than Peter. (laughs) He realizes it's Jesus before Peter does. So John is smarter and faster. But as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, look at this. 
right, look, if you've fallen asleep, right, wake up for this. What is Peter's response? Peter, remember, who is disappointed, directionless, and feels discounted, feels unloved. As soon as he hears it's the Lord, he wraps his outer garment around him, for he's taken it off, and jumps into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the, full, the net full of fish, but they were not far from the shore, about 100 meters. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. What is Simon Peter's response when Jesus is standing on the shore, when he realizes it's Jesus, he just throws himself into the water. That's not a sensible way to behave. They're only 100 meters away. It wouldn't take that long to row back to shore. But Simon Peter can't wait that long. He doesn't care what other people think about him. He doesn't care what is sensible. He doesn't care that he's going to be wet all day. He just wants to be with Jesus. Because what other hope has he got? Simon Peter knows that he's failed. He knows that he's let Jesus down. He knows that he has no rights. And yet Jesus is his object of desire. Let me tell you, that is the difference between someone who experiences remorse and someone who experiences repentance. You see, Judas betrayed Jesus and ran from him. Yes, he felt sorry. He was gripped by remorse, but he never went to Jesus for forgiveness. Simon Peter betrayed Jesus. And the first moment he had, he leapt out of the boat to get to him. Being part of this new reality, being part of what Jesus is doing in the world, being part of this mission is not about being a perfect, sorted, up-together human being. It's not about being someone who never fails, who never gets it wrong. Being part of this new reality is knowing that Jesus is your only hope. And that when you fail, you run to him. If you're someone who fails Jesus but wants him... That's what it looks like to be part of the new reality. I want to encourage you this morning. Jesus is not expecting you to be perfect. He, he wants you to love him. And so Simon Peter leaps out of the boat. And as he gets to the shore, what's the first thing he sees? A fire. A fire. Where was it that Simon Peter denied Jesus? By fire. You see, Jesus has set up the same situation that Simon Peter denied him in to reinstate him. He says, Simon Peter, I want to take you back to this fire. Let's have another go, shall we? This is how gracious Jesus is. He takes us back. He resets. He says, let's do this again. And round this fire, and you'll see this next week with Mike, round this fire, three times, Jesus will ask Peter to declare his love for him. That's what he does with failures. But it isn't just to, to get to, well, and let me say to you, perhaps that's the word for you this morning, perhaps that's what you need to hear. It isn't about being sensible. You know, sometimes people go, oh, you're a bit over the top. You know, maybe the other disciples were like, Simon Peter, you're a bit over the top. You're a bit kind of like too extreme in your love for Jesus. And Simon Peter's like, I don't care what you think. And I want to say, don't care what other people think when it comes to Jesus. Go for him. 
Don't be held back by, oh, perhaps other people think I'm being a bit too serious. You can't be too serious. You can't be too passionate about what Jesus is doing in your life and this reality. Run to it. Don't sit in that in-between place where you're neither here nor there. Push into the new reality. Run to him. And when they get there, they discover that there's breakfast for them. (laughs) I love this. They get there and there's a fire um, with fish on it and some bread. Jesus already got fish. They've been out fishing because when Jesus wants to make breakfast, he just goes, breakfast. (laughs) There it is. And yet, look, he doesn't despise them. In verse um, 10, he says, bring some of the fish you have just caught. I mean, that's pretty generous, the fish you've just caught. (laughs) It was all his power. But he doesn't despise what they have. He doesn't despise their efforts. He doesn't say, oh, forget your fish, I've got my own. He says, no, bring your fish. I want to use what you have caught. In my power, I enabled you to catch these fish. Now let's use them. Bring some of the fish. And Simon Peter, by this point, is like a little puppy, right? He's running around with such enthusiasm. So we're told he climbs back into the boat and he drags the whole net ashore. He said, bring a few fish. He goes, oh, bring them all. So he's dragging the whole net full. It was full of large fish, 153. Now, many people have argued about what 153 might mean. Apparently, it's a triangle number. I think it probably means that someone counted. I think it probably means there was a lot. And it probably means they went, cool, there's a lot of fish. How many do you think there are? I don't know. I reckon it's probably more than 100. They counted them because they were eyewitnesses, because they were actually there. And then Jesus says this beautiful thing, verse 12. Come and have breakfast. Come and have breakfast. Look, Jesus is the eternal son of God. He's died on a cross. He's risen again and he's about to return to their father's right hand in awesome glory. You can imagine all the angels of heaven awaiting with the confetti in their hands, ready to shout and cheer as the hero of heaven arrives back after his victory, waiting to shower him. You can imagine going, why is he taking so? Where is he? Why has he not arrived yet? What's he doing? And they look down and someone says, he stopped to have breakfast. <laughs> he stopped to have breakfast with his disciples. Because Jesus, the awesome king of this new reality, is intimately interested in his people. He loves his people. He wants to spend his time with his people. He wants to eat with his people. He wants them to know that he's alive. And he takes bread and he gives it to them and he does the same with the fish and they eat with him. And you may say to me, it would be lovely to have a meal with Jesus. Wouldn't that be amazing? If Jesus was here right now and we had a little fire and there's some fish and bread and we could have a little meal with Jesus. And yet you do realize, right, that right now Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone anyone will open the door I will come in and eat with them and they with me 
That little breakfast Jesus had on the shore of Galilee is a picture of what Jesus wants to do for you. He wants to eat with you. He wants to be with you. He wants to spend time with you. He's not too busy. I often have people phone me up and say, oh, John, I know you're really, really busy. Could you fit me in? Could you, you know, I have to say to you, I'm not that busy. But Jesus, when you phone him, when you talk to him, when you speak to him, he doesn't say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm really, really busy. I can fit you in in three months. He wants you. He has time for you. And if we're going to be part of this great mission, I know this is mission month. If you're going to be part of bringing in the great harvest, if you're going to be part of bringing in all the people that Jesus is saving in London, in Stockwell, around this area, and to the ends of the earth, if you're going to be part of it, you need to be moving and pushing into that new reality of Jesus. In the in-between state, you won't be bothered about people knowing about Jesus. Why would you care? But when you see him, suddenly you're then ready to be sent out. That's what Jesus can do next week with Simon Peter. He's going to restore him and commission him to go. That's what Jesus wants to do with you today. So wherever you find yourself, as we wrap this up, wherever you find yourself, perhaps you know that you, f- you feel, okay, I'm in between right now. I, I, I know that the old is disappointing, the I don't feel that excited about the new reality. Be honest about that this morning. And ask that Jesus would draw you deeper into his new reality. That you would drink deeply of that river of blessing that flows from him. That you'd know his restoring, forgiving power. And that you would treasure him above all. And that this week you would make the room to eat with him, to enjoy him. Because one day you'll sit with him forever and ever in his new creation and feast. Why don't we pray together? Father, we praise you this morning. We praise you for this new reality. Father, we're so sorry where our hearts drift back to the old. We're sorry where our hearts drift back to patterns of old behavior. Lord, we pray that we would see there is nothing there for us. And that instead we would see Jesus standing on the shore as the source of all blessing. And that we would unashamedly run to him, unashamedly take hold of him. That we would enjoy the blessing that he alone can bring. And that, Father, we might eat with Jesus and be commissioned by Jesus to go out and take this good news to the end of the world. And we ask it in his name. Amen.